0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Books Network podcast. I'm Deidre Tyler, host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Kalisha B. Graves, editor of Nanny Helen Burroughs, a documentary portrait of an early civil rights pioneer, 1900s to 1959. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I wonder if you could begin by saying a few words about yourself and how you became interested in this project.
1: Sure, that's always an interesting question. In terms of myself, I am a self-described scholar, educator, author, speaker, strategist, educational administrator, so that speaks to what I do. In terms of who I am, I am a person who is um, seeks to use my life as a bridge to opportunity for other people in terms of um, my my scholarship in terms of who I am as a scholar I'm one who's always been drawn to um, literary voids if you will and and gaps I am one who is committed to elevating the stories and and, and histories of black women um, historical black women in particular and I've always been drawn to the so-called, if you will, unheralded heroines of um, Black history. And I guess that kind of draws a bridge now to how I became interested in this particular project. I was actually reading a um, another book. I think it was a book on Du Bois or, or something like that. And I am one who lives in the footnotes and who lives in bibliographies. (laughs) So as much as I'm interested in content, I'm also drawn to um, the the small print at the bottom of pages or at the back of the book. And I remember seeing Nanny Helen Burroughs' name as a footnote in some other text on Du Bois. And I tell my students all the time, all good research starts with a good research question. And my question was, well, if Nanny Helen Burroughs was significant enough to important enough to make the footnote section, you know, then what does Nanny Helen who what does Nanny Helen Burroughs look like born out across the literature? And there there was not any significant literature that I found in term in book form on Nanny Helen Burroughs. There was, you know, a biography, short biography that was written back in the, the early 50s by um, a gentleman. But other than that, there was nothing really substantive, substantive in book form that spoke to who Nanny Helen Burroughs was. And so um, I said I wanted to fill that gap. I wanted to fill that literary void and really bring um, the essence of who Burroughs was to to the public because, I mean, she was one of the most prodigiously gifted Thinkers of of the of the twentieth century, the nineteenth, late nineteenth and um, early twentieth century, and I really felt that her her words were significant. I am a I'm one who's interested in intellectual history and philosophy. So whereas history tells you what folks did, intellectual history um, is about the ideas that motivated action and the genealogy of thought. And so I really wanted to bring that to bear as it relates to Nanny Helen Burroughs Um, and really to for this book to serve as a conversation starter so that we could begin to think about historical black women in other ways beyond what they merely did. Although their works were marvelous and magnificent, I think it's also important that we see historical black women, historical African-American women, as thinkers in the world, as women who were endowed with um, big ideas and 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 blessed with um, long-range thought, if you will. And so I wanted to bring all of, I wanted to bring Nanny Helen Burroughs's mind
0: um, to the public. The early life of Nanny Helen Burroughs, tell us about that.
1: Sure. Nanny Helen Burroughs is born in Virginia in the late 1870s, around 1870, 1879, and she's born to um, a, a mother, of course, and a father, and And her father, um, and I'll say this, let me preface by saying this, we don't know a whole lot about Burrows's early life, because she was one who did not reveal a lot of the private, intimate details of, of her life, and so um, the what we know about Burroughs has been cold from the sources that that exist. But um, her father was an itinerant preacher, and he did not have a long presence in her life, if you will. Um, so her early influences in life were were women, her her mother and her grandmother primarily her grandmother Maria Poindexter. It's said that Burroughs had a sister, younger sister at one point, um, and that, you know, records um, suggest that she died early. And so Burroughs grows up as an only child. And so again, her early influences are women. And so it, it comes at no surprise then that when you look at the long trajectory of her life, that she would be committed to women's issues.
0: Tell us about the importance of her grandmother in her life.
1: Nanny Helen Burroughs' grandmother plays really an outsized role. I'm looking at this from the perspective of someone who's... um, um, interested in intellectual history and philosophy, the the figure of Maria Poindexter, Nanny Helen Burroughs' grandmother, is really um, outsized in her life. Her grandmother is is the one that inducts her, if you will, into this um, into this. Black consciousness, really, a lot of the pride that we see through or that's borne out through Burroughs's writing, you can hear the voice of her grandmother as the undertone to those writings, if you will. There was a story her grandmother tells, and she says um, her grandmother was a formerly enslaved woman. And I use the word enslaved purposely uh, rather than slave. Slave suggests something about somebody's character or what somebody is, right? When you say enslaved, it represents what happened to a person. And so her grandmother is a formerly enslaved woman, and she tells a story about a master. And uh, he says, Maria, Um, why aren't you looking at the ground? And she said, uh, you know, look at the ground for what? I'm looking up because that's what God made me for. And so these are the kind of stories that she pours into Nanny early in life that really give Nanny a firm sense of what it means to be a proud Black woman, a Black woman who does not move through the world with her head hung down, but one rather who stands erect and who stands... um, um, purposefully, on principle, if you will. So Burroughs' grandmother, um, as a matter of fact, in, in her writings, Burroughs refers to her grandmother as not only a seamstress, but a philosopher, right? That's something uh, deep to say about a, a woman whose life experience is that of, 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 of enslavement, or whose former life experience is that of enslavement, to suggest that she's not only a seamstress but also a philosopher means that she has um thought gifts if you will that she can offer um um in 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 life and that she was not just a woman who was um confined to drudgery but one who was able to use her mind as as a pathway to freedom even if one is in existential bondage if one can have mental and internal freedom that that that's significant. So, I mean, it, it, it's, I could go on about talking about the importance of Burroughs' grandmother in her life, but um, she definitely is a a towering figure, if you will.
0: Now, when Nanny Helen Burroughs finished school, she did not get that teaching job. What did she do?
1: Sure. So the period right after she finishes school, there's a variety of, um, I don't want to call them odd jobs, but a variety of different career pathways that Burroughs, is, um, Burroughs pursues. So she moves at one point to Philadelphia to become an associate editor for a Baptist newspaper called the Christian Banner. Uh, and then she also applied at one point for a job as a clerk that didn't work out. And um, ultimately she took on work as a janitor. Right. And you have to think um Going back a little earlier, Burroughs' mother moves the family to um, to D.C. for precisely better opportunity. And the fact that after finishing school, she she's um, the the one job, part, the set of jobs she's able to get among those is being a janitor. Of course, um, was not the type of work that that her mother would have wanted. Um, her daughter to be doing. But nevertheless, she did take a job as um, a janitor. But then around 1900, she moves to Louisville, Kentucky, and she starts a women's industrial club. And the focus of that club was really domestic, um, domestic science and millinery, which is hat making, if you will. And um, it's so interesting if you look at a lot of the historical photos of Uh, portraits of Burroughs. you'll see um occasionally these elaborate hats so i can imagine that she was probably the author or the creator if you will of um some of those pieces that we see in her portrait but uh, so she does work with with women and you see here really the early manifestations of her commitment to women's work the early manifestations of um um, if what would become the her national training school for women and girls, so she she's working with women in Louisville, Kentucky, and then um, around this around this time she also becomes corresponding secretary um, for the women's convention co- women's convention auxiliary auxiliary to the um, National Baptist Convention. So right after she finishes school, she takes a couple of different pathways before she ends up. Um, ultimately founding her school, but still, you know, that her, the persistent dream that she has is to to create an institution for women and girls.
0: Now, tell us about the Woman's Day that she started.
1: Sure. So this concept of a Woman's Day was presented around 1906, I believe it was, in a convention report. And it was for the Women's Day was to take place on the fourth Sunday in July. And the way Burroughs described it, she actually called it a day of awakening and consecration for the cause of foreign missions. So the purpose of Women's Day was really to heighten women's awareness around missionary work as it related to um, foreign missions. But there was a deeper purpose in all of this. It wasn't just about Raising money, but really, um, the higher the higher goal of elevating women to 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 the higher call of action and purpose. Burroughs was lived her life to empower women, and so um, recommending this Women's Day was one of the opportunities she believed where women's empowerment could be on display in mass, if you will. So yeah, women's day, re- re- a remarkable one of Burrell's, you know, most remarkable contributions that persist.
0: In in Miss Burrell's writing, she focused on the elevation of black women. Can you give us examples?
1: Sure. She focused on the elevation of black women in terms of um, their minds, right? She believed that women as much as it is important to empower women to work, um, to put one's hand to the plow, if you will, that it was also important to have a mind that worked well. And so, even when you look at her school, she's focused on not only empowering women with the skill set that they can use to um, as a as a form of entrepreneurship, if you will, but also interested in building the capacity of their minds. She's committed to the right to vote, ensuring that women have, have, um, suffrage. She's committed to some of the more social, um, aspects, as we talked about earlier, the, her, the women's industrial club that she started. So looking at women, you know, and helping them to be good homemakers. So it, it's interesting. Burroughs, this concept of empowerment is not narrow. It's actually, um, she has a very wide view of what women's empowerment looks like, and it's religiously, socially, politically, economic, uh, and, and even economically. So she really has a comprehensive plan for what the elevation of the black woman can look like.
0: Now, after she didn't get that teaching job, she had a dream that she put away for years. Tell us about that.
1: Sure, her dream was to start um, a a school for Black women and girls. That was Burroughs' dream. After she did not get the teaching job at M Street Colored School in DC, she said to herself, "You know, I'm going to start a um, a a school for the women and girls of my of of my race that will be able to help." To and this is not a direct quote, but just synthesizing the spirit of. Um, of where Burroughs' mind was at, but a in a, a school that could help to empower black women and girls. And so she ultimately founds this school in in nineteen oh nine. And it's interesting because if you if we think about crowd crowd fundraising now, Burroughs really is doing that. She's raising money for her institution um, from her community, which is which is a feat in and of itself, if you will, because When you look at the founding of Black institutions in the early 19th century, you do have funds coming from white philanthropic sources, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But Burroughs was also very intentional about ensuring that she could raise money from her school, from her community, because ultimately it would be a school for the community, if you will. So creating this institution, the National Training School for Women and Girls, was the was this was Burles persistent dream, and fortunately, it was not a dream deferred. It was one she
0: actually accomplished in life. Uh, her business skills. Tell us about the skills in starting that training school for women.
1: Sure. So, <clears throat> if you look at Burroughs' own matriculation through school. Her, mer- her major areas of study were business and domestic science, but she was also good at oratory and classical literature. So you think about business, what are those skill sets that she's honing? Fundraising, right? Collaboration, the ability to articulate a vision for for, um for for her school in this case but also having an eye for what's needed so the business training she receives equips her to be able to solidify relationships across of a, a wide spectrum of, of individuals. But also, as I mentioned, she's good at classical literature. And what's important about that type of training is the ability to synthesize theses and arguments, if you will. Burroughs is a marvelous orator, if you will, um, an exceptional writer. And so you can see these well-sharpened skill sets manifested in a lot of her speeches and, and works. Then, of course... Domestic science, as I mentioned, her major areas of study were dom- were business and domestic science, and so you think about what are what are the skill sets that are honed through a domestic science focus. You have using one's hands, if you will, to 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 create business ventures, um, using ones in addition to you know, cultivating one's mind, but bringing all of that together to form entrepreneurial endeavors. And so we ask about the, the business skills that are used to start the training school. It's really a combination of all of the different experiences um, she had in in her early formative years, but certainly also in her academic years as well.
0: In the training school, what were the subjects taught?
1: Sure. So Burroughs' curriculum focused on, of course, domestic sciences and industrial training schools. So she's committed to ensuring that Black women have a trade that that they can apply in their lives and a trade that that can become an entrepreneurial endeavor. But she also is committed, as I mentioned earlier, to women cultivating their minds. So her industrial school, the women are Uh, they take classes in Black history, if you will, right, to ground them in a tradition. So not just empowering, her school wasn't just about empowering one with a skill set or empowering one with um, a, a, a set of tools, if you will, but also grounding them in a tradition so that Black women could have a firm sense of the people from whom they came. Nanny Helen Burroughs would have never described herself as a great leader. Rather, she would have described herself as a woman who emerged out of great people. And that is the emphasis that she, that you find in, in her school curriculum, that it's really about how do we not just gain a skill set for ourselves, but how do we uh, use this skill set to empower our Community. So, uh, her her school, I think, you know, is, is well ahead of its time in terms of its its focus. You know, now there's a lot of focus on critical race theory and and race consciousness, etc. And this is the work, honestly, that Burroughs is doing um, at her school.
0: 1934 jobs. What was the message about jobs she gave to Tuskegee?
1: Sure, <clears throat> she says at her commencement address, (laughs) she says all the jobs are taken. She tells the students, look, there are no ready-made jobs. But she says there are hundreds of millions of jobs ready to be created. And the purpose of that was, or the essence of her message to these students at Tuskegee is that, look, you are um, those who will bring in a new social order, right? But she also says this, that they are inheritors, if you will, of a prophetic legacy, and that by virtue of their position as inheritors, they also have the capacity now to be progenitors of a new social order. And so Burroughs, again, taking this this logic of um, entrepreneurial empowerment, is helping these students to know that they have the capacity and the and the creativity to create what they want to see in the world, that they are not confined to simply looking for a job, but rather that God had endowed them with the skill set to be able to create the kind of world that they wanted to see. So, the her commencement address at Tuskegee is 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 absolutely
0: absolutely powerful. Now, what does she say about the whiners and biggers? <laughs>
1: you know Burroughs is um i I'll, let me say this before i answer that Burroughs is is could could be quite controversial if you will um and in, in in some of her speeches and the language she used could be very biting if you will um very scathing if you will but nevertheless she said that that it's human nature to to kick around um, whiners and and beggars if you will and essentially she says that there's no need in crying about what will become of us she says we will become what we create she says we will become what we create and so again this is a part of her um, this is part, a part of her empowerment framework how she's um, attempting to to elevate her people if you will um you know there's the there's the phrase up you mighty race if you will burroughs is a is a committed race woman if you will she's a committed race woman so when you look at her speeches when you look at uh many of the things she's she's talking about um she's very very intentional about ensuring that that folks are uplifted and she's not afraid to critique if you will um her own her own people she did not see herself as it's a phrase that i would use she did not see herself as a negro whisperer if you will where she's articulating black concerns to to white ears if you will she's really if if you've ever heard of the term fubu for us by us she's really like one of the original fubu (laughs) right so she's she's interested in talking to Black folks about Black problems and ensuring that um, she does everything she can to empower her community. So, yeah, that's a great question.
0: She has so many opinions, and I want to go over a few. What was her opinion about projects?
1: So, she says that, Burroughs says that moving people into projects is not the answer, and that people are not projects, that people have to be treated as as human beings. And she talks about this in connection to understanding how women um, ought to take care of the home, how they ought to to um, be adequate homemakers, if you will. Now, I think it's important for listeners to understand that during this period, a woman being in the home, being a homemaker is, is not something that's an offense, if you will. Rather, especially when you look at it through an Africana, lens when you think look at this through africana ph- philosophy lens the home front really is revolutionary it's a revolutionary base because the home is the foundation of nation building this is what you'll see in a variety of um, different thinkers from this time who who are advancing this this concept of of home as the foundation for nation building so it really is a revolutionary concept and then also remember when you talk about Black women, the experience of enslavement takes Black women out of their homes and puts them in someone else's home, right? So Burroughs, again, is flipping the script, and she's saying, look, the home, we we have to build up our women to be adequate and great Homemakers, because that's the foundation of nation building. That's how we're going to build our community. So, when she talks about projects, she talks about it in relation to um, women cultivating um, great, great home fronts, if you will.
0: She had some interesting insights about immigration. Tell us about that.
1: Sure. Burroughs was not, I want to preface by saying, you know, it shouldn't be misunderstood that Burroughs was xenophobic in in some way, if you will. Burroughs saw immigration as an economic threat to the African American community. Because the way Burroughs sees it, African Americans supply the labor force, if you will, almost the default labor force. And she saw the influx of of people from all over the world, she saw the influx of, of, of immigrants, if you will, as a threat to disrupting that, um, that inborn, if you will, labor force that African Americans represented, because Burroughs understood that, and, and she phrases it this way: that you know, white Americans would be more inclined to accept s- someone who looks like them more quickly than they will someone who doesn't. And so for her, again, immigration is an economic threat to the African-American community because she sees it as as disrupting um, opportunities that might naturally flow to the African-American community. So again, Not in a xenophobic sense, because Burroughs as a as a Christian woman is committed to this idea of the family of God and that everyone in the world is a part of the family of God. But in an economic sense, when you talk about politics and economics. She's like, wait a minute. Immigration is a is is a threat to to the opportunities that African-Americans as as a default laborers laborers. source might naturally have access to because of this problem of, again, racism, right? She's, she's convinced that white Americans would be more inclined to have an immigrant from Europe clean their home or work in their home as opposed because they look more like them, right, as opposed to an African American who is conspicuously different in terms of skin color, in terms of features, et cetera. So she sees it as an economic problem.
0: In her message entitled "Manhood, Patriotism, Religious Going Out of Style Among Negroes," March twelfth, nineteen thirty-two, what was she trying to say there?
1: Burroughs was a, a someone who was extremely patriotic. She even talks about you know never abandoning the nation and and never abandoning the flag. That's important when you look at. African American thinkers in the late 19th century early 20th century they're wrestling with this idea of what ought to be our destiny in this nation if you will right what ought to be our nation in America you have sets of, you know a set of thinkers who are convinced that America can never be a home and that we must leave and then you have those who who are committed to the idea of making of this nation a home and ensuring that the blood, sweat, and tears that were spilt on this soil are were, were not rendered in vain. And so in this particular piece, she talks about intelligence. She talks about a couple of things, intelligence, industry, courage, chivalry, patriotism, and reverence. And these were the values that she felt were on decline in the nation, right? But these were also values that she felt were fundamental to the adequate development of a race. So intelligence is about the agility of mind, the ability to think and devise and imagine possibilities. Then she talks about industry, which is work in business, right? Ensuring that that the community, the race, if you will, is it has has industry, has a has a form of economic, has an economic foundation, if you will. Then she talks about courage, which is the ability to speak up, the ability to, to be a man, if you will, to not cower into an old mold of being. What was that old mold of being? That old mold of being was that of an enslaved person. So courage is very important to Burroughs because she's, con- she's conscious about the fact that we, we must always ever be cognizant to not cower back into an old mold of being. And then chivalry which are manners, if you will. She describes chivalry as manners. And then patriotism. She says that Black folks should never lose their our love of liberty, that we should never give up America, that we should never give up the flag. She says this, right? And then also reverence, which is religion. Nanny Helen Burroughs is one of those folks who believe that everybody ought to have religion. Do you got religion, <laughs> right? This is Nanny Helen Burles. She's She is a... um. She is a firebrand, if you will. She sees herself first, right, as a missionary. She sees herself in this sense. Um, she sees herself first in a in a in a religious sense, in terms of being an evangelist, being a missionary, one who carries not only a message but also a mission. And so, reverence, so intelligence, industry, courage, chivalry, patriotism, and reverence for the values that she felt were fundamental to the development of the race.
0: Cleanliness. Why did she believe in teaching this concept?
1: Sure. So, as a Christian, Burles is committed to this concept of cleanliness. Of course, from a from a spiritual aspect, from a theological standpoint, this idea of one being one needing to be both uh, clean morally and spiritually, because that's what God requires of us, right? And as a missionary, she understands that this is what is enabled for us through Jesus Christ. So, as a Christian, this concept of cleanliness is intimately linked to her to her theological orientation if you will. From a social or sociological viewpoint, cleanliness is synonymous with respect for one's person. This emphasis that cleanliness is a negation of the assumptions that have been assigned to African descended people. In this hemisphere of the world, right, that the default assumption about uh, African-Americans is that they are, you know, uh, unclean or, you know, what have you, that they're outside of the realm of humanity and therefore are um, unclean. And so from a sociological perspective. Cleanliness is synonymous with having respect for oneself, but it's also a negation of the assumptions, a negation, if you will, of the pathologies that have been assigned to to her folks, if you will, to, to Black folks.
0: Now, she was very proud of her skin color. What was her instructions for Blacks concerning skin color? Sure. So she says
1: skin doesn't From a theological standpoint, so I'll answer this two ways. From a theological standpoint, Burroughs says it's not the skin color that matters, but it's the color of the soul that matters. That's her theological position. Her existential perspective is that often Black skin has been perceived and conceived as inferior, right? And so to negate that, um the Black community writ large must have a pride in in who we are and what we represent and that we ought to embrace the fullness, right? The Black folks should embrace the fullness of their humanity. So again, from a theological perspective, she says skin color doesn't matter. It's the color of the soul that matters. So from an existential perspective, she understands that because skin determines how we're treated um, in this In in this world, rather than absorb the negative ascriptions assigned to that skin color, let's flip the script and embrace the full humanity
0: of who we are. December 23rd, 1933. She wrote this, why Americans have gone lynch mad. What was her answer? Sure. There were several
1: factors that Burroughs believed contributed to this lynching epidemic in America, if you will. She says... You know, one, it's it's white public sentiment and an attitude around um, this. Also, she says the federal government's failure to enforce the 15th Amendment, right, is 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 problematic. That is a contributing factor. Also, she says that there's this what she describes as this thirst for blood. And she says this thirst for blood has been passed down through generations of, of folks, if you will. Um, and, and she's specifically speaking about the white community here, that there's this kind of thirst for blood that's been passed down through generation through generation through those have, who have imbibed and relished the specter of Black death. So. For burrows, this is a representation of spiritual decay. So this thirst for blood that she talks about as a as a contributing factor is is linked to this concept of, of of spiritual decay. But also, she says that the way that Black folks and Negroes, if you as they were called then, were treated by law enforcement creates the conditions that make lynching possible right And so she's you know, she talks about although this law enfor- law enforcement name may not be lynching in terms of behavior acts that they're acting out, it's the attitude and the conditions created around the mistreatment of black folks that makes something like lynching possible. And so she talks about how you you, we can't legislate social, new social attitudes, right? But that a new way of being has to be born and developed in people. And honestly, she sees the, the solution, uh, one of the solutions to, to the lynching epidemic as enfranchisement, because in America, enfranchisement is, is equated to, to power, right? Right. In, in a community that is disenfranchised, is a disempowered community. So several contributing factors that Burroughs sees as contributing to, to the lynching ep- epidemic in America. And I think it's important to note that her leveraging her voice in that space is also remarkable because um, it was dangerous, of course, to be Black and to be speaking, <laughs> if you will, already, but certainly to be speaking out against um, something like lynching it was just remarkable for for a woman in her time
0: what were some of the negative reputations that miss Barrows indicated that blacks needed to overcome
1: sure so as I mentioned earlier you know there's a litany of pathologies if you will that were that were ascribed to to blackness and so laziness un, un, not unreliable this the blacks were Innately immoral that that blacks were outside of the realm of of simil- uh, civilization. These were some of the negative reputations that Burroughs understood w- were ascribed to the black community. And so again, so much of her work was about how do we flip the script on script on this right? And not even and and, and I, I know I'm saying flipping the script, but for Burroughs it was about how do we under, how do we express the fullness of our humanity because these negative as, as reputations associated with blackness are not our default position, right? It is not who we are as a people. So again, so much of her work was about re- ensuring that a new order of, of of blackness took precedent over so many of these negative ascriptions that were associated with blackness.
0: Miss Burles and Booker T. Washington, did she believe that blacks should learn a trade and skill?
1: Most definitely, uh, Nanny Helen Burles was facetiously called, you know, Mrs. Booker T. Washington <laughs> because they were so aligned in terms of their philosophy. Black folks having a trade, learning a skill was the crux of Nanny Helen Burroughs' philosophy, it was the crux of her life, it was the crux, it was the the pillar around which she uh, built her school. So she most assuredly believed that Black folks needed to have a trade. And a skill, and I'll use a word I don't even know if this is a real world word, but to entrepreneurialize, if you will, that trade and skill. So, not just having a good trade and skill for oneself, but using that as a foundation for bringing economic empowerment to oneself, to one's family, and to one's um, community. And, and the trades and skills, you know, folks, you think there could be some criticism around, well, you know why is it that there was an emphasis on trades and skills, et cetera, blacksmithing, or you know some of the domestic science work, or what have you? But it's connected to a very practical reality. For Burroughs in Washington, they understood that if Black folks had gone through hundreds of years of an enslavement experience where they honed skills in blacksmithing and and where we were forced to do domestic work, etc. And so the rationale is coming out of that experience now, how do we use this skill set that we have applied in this particular context for hundreds of years? How do we now use those same skills and use it as a foundation to bring economic empowerment to our community? So trades and skills were were the foundation, were the crux of um, Burroughs' philosophy.
0: Now she had a lot of criticisms of the black population tell us about <laughs> that
1: Sure Pearls again um as she deeply loved her community she also could um did not spare critique if you will and so she talked about there's a, there's a piece she has called 12 things a negro must must you know do for Himself, um, the Negro must learn to put first things first. The Negro must ex- stop expecting God and white folk to do for him what he can do for himself. Um, that the the Negro must ensure that his home and his children and his surroundings and and the areas in which he live are comfortable and attractive. He must. Um, she talks about Negroes must learn to to um, uh, have must have religion, right? Must must. Must um, apply religion to to their everyday practice and and not just on Sundays. So there's a litany of of recommendations. We'll say it that way <laughs> that Burroughs has for um for her community.
0: Now, what is the overall message of the book that you want the reader to leave with once they have finished your book?
1: Sure, I want readers to understand, I'll say it like this. I describe Nanny Helen Burroughs as a grand mosaic of a woman. If you've ever seen a mosaic, it's a a piece of art that is a compilation of pieces that may not seem to fit together. Pieces are different colors or different shapes, they're different sizes. But when you take a step back, you can see a grand portrait revealed. And so I want folks to understand that Nanny Helen Burroughs was a grand mosaic of a woman, that she was one of the most prodigiously gifted thinkers of the late 19th and early 20th century, that she stands on par, right, with folks like some of the more popular names we hear like Carter G. Woodson, W. E.B. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, Martin Delaney, uh, uh, Anna Julia Cooper, that she is in league with this great pantheon of thinkers. And so really this work was intentioned to position her firmly in that canon, right, this canon of African-American intellectual thought. And so I hope that readers will walk away with an appreciation for who Nanny Helen Burroughs was. I hope readers will be able to understand how so many of the issues and the things she talked about and during her time period are applicable um, today. So, again, I, I hope folks can understand the grand nature of, of who Nanny Helen Burroughs was. And this is part of why the title of the book is Nanny Helen Burroughs, a documentary portrait, right, of an early civil rights pioneer, because I want folks to see um, all of the intimate nuances of who, who Nanny Helen Burroughs was and how those things came together to form an exquisite portrait of a beautiful black woman who was using her mind, who was applying her brain in innovative ways to empower her community. So I hope folks fall in love with the mind of, of Nanny Helen Burroughs.
0: Well I've taken up enough of your time. Can you tell us the next project that you will be working on?
1: Thank you so much for that question. This has been this has been great. My next project takes a pivot, if you will. My next project is actually conceived as a contribution to um, the United Nations um, Decade for People of African Descent. As of the time of this interview, we are right in, in the middle of of what the United Nations has declared um, the, the Decade for People of African Descent, and so my next work will actually look at historically black colleges and universities, and the continent of Africa. So it's conceived as a contribution to, to foreign policy. It's conceived as a contribution as um, as a contribution to, to strategic planning, and education to enhancing education. It's it's um, it's a work in strategic futures thinking, if you will. And the nature of, of this next book that I'm working on is how do we secure and ensure the next hundred years of HBCUs, and how can we bring together HBCUs and 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 the continent of Africa? You know, the idea is that our destinies. I I admittedly see things through a Pan African context, if you will. This context that you know the destinies of 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 African-descended people all over the world are intimately entwined. And so this next work takes, uh, takes a look at HBCUs in Africa and how we can ensure sustainability for the next 100 years. So it takes uh, still in the same domain of, 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 um, af- of the Africana world, if you will, looking at African-descended African people and in African um, institutions, but takes a pivot in that it's, it's now looking more strongly focused on the concept of, you know, education and this concept of sustainability and, you know, how does that intersect with our foreign policy and, and, and our um, policy making, if you will. So really excited
0: about this next project. I'd like to thank you for being on the show and thank you for bringing to our attention, Nanny Helen Burroughs.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity. I hope readers enjoy the book.